If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Hello, I am Randy Andrews, and today, The Mummy comes out to theaters, and it's a reboot of the Universal Monsters universe, starting with, of course, The Mummy. I'll be talking about The Mummy from 1999. I'll talk about the crew, the background, the cast, the soundtrack, and much more, all today on Soundtrack Alley. First, let's start talking about some of the cast for The Mummy from 1999. That's called stealing, you know. According to you and my brother, it's called borrowing. I thought the Book of Amun Ra was made out of gold. It is made out of gold. This isn't the Book of Amun Ra. This is something else. I think this may be the Book of the Dead. The Book of the Dead. Are you sure you want to be playing around with this thing? It's just a book. No harm ever came from reading a book. That happens a lot around here. With the exception of a loincloth and a few pieces of jewelry, Patricia Valesquez's costume consists entirely of body paint which took 14 hours to apply. Now, this was from the the background and the flashback scene in which she sacrificed herself for Imhotep. Brendan Fraser nearly died during a scene where his character is hanged. Rachel Wise remembered he stopped breathing and had to be resuscitated. That's a surprising fact I didn't know about. In one scene, Benny is shown with a sack full of gold, which he is trying to load onto a camel. And Benny puts the camel by the reins, but the camel doesn't budge. The camels all, for some reason, hated Kevin O'Connor. Jonathan Hyde's close-up scene during the locust swarm had to be reshot several times. 
He could not keep a straight face with so many locusts crawling all over him. The line, Think of my children, given by Benny in the scene aboard the riverboat, was ad-libbed by Kevin O'Connor. Ardeth Bay, an anagram of death by Ra, is the name of a sworn protector of mankind from the mummy Emotep. However, in the mummy in the 1932 version, Ardath Bay is the alter ego of the mummy Emotep, played by Boris Karloff. When he t- attempts to pass for a modern Egyptian, and there's de- a definite difference in the spelling of the different names. The scene at the beginning where Imhotep is mummified freaked out Arnold Vosloo. He had to be in bandages for four hours to film the scenes where he's wrapped in bandages and put in his tomb. During the scene when Imhotep is raising the sandstorm in the desert, the camera had to quickly pan up. The wind machines being used kept blowing Arnold Vosloo's cape up, exposing his backside. While filming, John Hanna sprained his wrist and had to wear a brace on it, which shows up during his final scenes. Brendan Fraser was cast due to the success of George of the Jungle from 97, and Stephen Summers also commented that he felt Fraser fit the or Errol Flynn swashbuckling character he had envisioned perfectly. The actor understood that his character doesn't take himself too seriously, Otherwise, the audience can't go on that journey with him. In the original script, Evie was supposed to say he's gorgeous when she first sees the fully resurrected Imhotep. The line was filmed but removed from the final cut. Kevin O'Connor had been roughed up so much during the filming of the scene with Benny and the Egyptianologist office that he was badly bruised and his nipples had to be iced afterward. To create the mummy, John Andrew Burton Jr. used a combination of live action and computer graphics. When he matched the digital prosthetic makeup pieces to Arnold Vosloo's face during filming, Burton said, when you see his film image, that's him. When he turns his head and half of his face is missing, and you see right through onto his teeth, that's really his face. And that's why it was so hard to do. Vosloo described the filming as a whole new thing for him. They had to put these little red tracking lights all over his face so they could map out the special effects. A lot of time, he was rocking around the set looking like a Christmas tree. When Jonathan accidentally brings the military mummies to life, they go after O'Connell. Brendan Fraser runs across skeletons that are floating in the water to get away from the mummies while making the same sort of noise that his character George makes from George of the Jungle. This is also the last cinema film of Bernard Fox. Rachel Wise was not a big fan of horror films, but did not see this film as such. As she said in an interview, it's Hokum, a comic book world. And it truly is. It's a fun movie. Yes, well, according to legend, the black book that the Americans found at Amanapture is supposed to bring people back from the dead. Until now, it was a notion I was unwilling to believe. Believe it, sister. That's what brought our buddy back to life. Yes, and I'm thinking that if the black book can bring dead people to life, then... then maybe the gold book can kill him. That's the myth. 
Now we just have to find out where the gold book is hidden. For the television broadcast version of the film, a small bikini was painted onto Anik Sunamun's body. Arnold Vosloo understood the approach that Stephen Summers was going for in his screenplay, but only agreed to take the role of the of Imhotep if he could absolutely do it straight. From Imhotep's point of view, this is a skewed version of Romeo and Juliet. In the scene on the riverboat, Benny is thrown overboard and into the river by O'Connell during filming. Kevin O'Connor helped Brendan Fraser to appear as though he was throwing him overboard by jumping up. Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Chris O'Donnell, and Matthew McConaughey were considered for the role of Rick O'Connell. Also, Tom Cruise would later star in the reboot that is appearing this day. The whole white cat scene in Evelyn's apartment was given no name in the film, but in the movie novelization, the cat's name is revealed to be Cleo. Since no one was used to acting around across from nothing, the actors were shown pictures of Arnold Vosloo in full mummy look to inspire fear. The scene of the Cairo prison was shot on the very first day of filming in Makarash. Rachel Wise was the only actress offered her part, which is actually pretty surprising. Brendan Fraser's camel during filming was named Barney. Stephen Summers cast Rachel Wise after seeing her performance in The Land Girls. Anna Friel was considered also for the role of Evelyn Carnahan. Kevin O'Connor had a dimmer switch in his wardrobe to put the torch he holds out. Kevin O'Connor also, he appeared in Law and Order The Troubles in Law and Order's first season. That episode, like this movie, featured a character named O'Connell who is generally addressed by surname only. The prison warden, uh, Gad Hassan, is portrayed by Ahmed Jajili, who is British in real life. He's a comedian who received his acting debut in this movie. The character Ardeth Bay was originally scripted to die at the end of the film. This was changed by the director, Stephen Summers, because he thought the character was too heroic to be killed off. The scene where O'Connell saves Evelyn from the sacrificial slab was filmed with Brendan Fraser fighting against invisible mummies. He meticulously choreographed his every movement, and all mummies were added later in the shot with computer-generated imagery to match his moves, which is a really cool way of doing that scene. Now, during the filming of the scene with scarabs eating his brain, Ahmed Dajali uh, acted out his character's pain so much that he ended up tearing his own shorts off. The scene where Imhotep has Evelyn chained to a sacrificial slab to resurrect Anak Sunamun uh, took nine days to film, which is really a long time. The white nightgown that Evelyn wore when the ship was attacked became transparent when it got wet and had to be digitally painted white during post-production so the film could keep its PG-13 rating. Now let's talk about some of the, phys or the technical aspects of the film.
They race deep into the desert, taking Anaxunamun's corpse to Hamunaftra, city of the dead, ancient burial site for the sons of pharaohs, and resting place for the wealth of Egypt. For his love, Imhotep dared the gods' anger by going deep into the city, where he took the Black Book of the Dead from its holy resting place. Anaxunamun's soul had been sent to the dark underworld, her vital organs removed and placed in five sacred canopic jars. Anaxunamun's soul had come back from the dead. But Pharaoh's bodyguards had followed Imhotep and stopped him before the ritual could be completed. Imhotep's priests were condemned to be mummified alive. As for Imhotep, he was condemned to endure the Homdai, the worst of all ancient curses, one so horrible it had never before been bestowed. He was to remain sealed inside his sarcophagus, the undead for all of eternity. The Magi would never allow him to be released, for he would arise a walking disease, a plague upon mankind, an unholy flesh-eater with the strength of ages, power over the sands, and the glory of invincibility. A cloak lent by the British costume rental company Angels and worn by an extra in this film was discovered to have been in fact made for Alec Guinness when he played Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. An Egyptologist was brought in to phonetically render what ancient Egyptian might have sounded like for dialogue. The opening voiceover was originally intended to be read by Imhotep. Director Stephen Summers later realized that Imhotep wouldn't be able to speak English and gave the voiceover to Ardeth Bay instead. According to the director, Universal phoned him the morning after this movie was released and said, we need another one, which is great. The library disaster was done in one take. It would have taken an entire day to reshoot if a mistake had been made. And there was a lot to <laughs> that damage that happened in that scene. In 2004, Universal Studios theme parks opened their Revenge of the Mummy rides based on both this movie and The Mummy Returns. The rides became so popular that lines would stretch into the main park with riders waiting for hours in the hot California or Florida sun. To alleviate the stress of waiting when the lines would move, fans of the movie would wearily chant, Imhotep! 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 As the hypnotized townspeople do halfway through the movie. The Medjai were originally supposed to be tattooed from head to toe. But Stephen Summers vetoed against it because he thought Oded Fear was too good-looking to be covered up. When King Tuktaheman's tomb was found in November 4, 1922, the person in charge was George Herbert V, Earl of Carnarvon. Along with him, his daughter, Lady Evelyn Carnarvon, and Rachel Wise's character was named Evelyn Carnahan. Originally, her character was meant to be Evelyn Carnavon. She and her brother were to be the children of the cursed Lord Carnavon, 
The only evidence of this is left in the film is the line where Evelyn tells O'Connell that her father was a very, very famous explorer. The mummy novelization goes into a bit more detail on her backstory. Stephen Summers came up with the gag of Evelyn saving Rick from two gunshots on the burning boat the night before they filmed the scene. The scene in which the scarabs come from the sands to chase the explorers was done by using an air compressor on the set that went off to simulate the insects emerging from the sand. That's a pretty cool effect. Amatep was actually the name of the architect who developed the first pyramids in ancient Egypt, most notably the Pyramid of Djoser at Saqqara, around 2600 BC. His ability was such that he was later said to have descended from the gods. His name means one who comes in peace. However, as far as anyone knows, he was not a despised villain as portrayed in the movie, but much more likely revered as the architect and physician that he was. The scenes showing Cairo streets were shot in the soak of Makarash. That was so expansive that the actors and crews were warned not to wander too far from the set of risk of getting lost. Also, the prison scene was shot entirely at an apartment complex in Makarash. Despite the name, the title character was never mummified. His followers are, but he was subjected to a very different death. The presence of the living scarabs, after centuries of isolation from food sources, was better explained in an early version of the script. Imhotep was cursed to live forever when some of the sacred scarabs forced themselves down his throat and by eating them, or by eating him. The scarabs themselves were also cursed with everlasting life. During the filming of the scene in which hail and fire fall down on Cairo, dried dog food was painted white and used as balls of hail thrown down on the set. Ugh. <laughs> when Clyde Barker was attached to the project, the film was intended to be a low-budget horror film. Barker's vision of the film was violent, with the story revolving around the head of a contemporary art museum who turns out to be a cultist trying to reanimate mummies. George A. Romero was brought in with a vision of a zombie-style horror movie similar to Night of the Living Dead, but it was considered too scary. The production had the official support of the Moroccan army, and the cast members had kidnapping insurance taken out on them, a fact Stephen Summers disclosed to the cast only after shooting had finished. The name of Oded Fear's character, Ardeth Bay, isn't used once throughout the entire movie until the end credits. It isn't until the next movie, The Mummy Returns, that his name is used aloud. In some scenes, characters who speak Arabic can be heard saying the same lines with different subtitles. This isn't as much of a mistake as it is a throwback to the hero movies of old, in which foreign characters would say their lines in a different language to put up the illusion that they were speaking in said language. The plastic dummies used as desiccated corpses in the film to represent the mummy's victims are the same as those used in the cult 1980s sci-fi film Life Force. 
One character even refers to the mummy sucking the life force out of people. So there's your life force connection. To avoid dehydration in the scorching heat of the Sahara, the production's medical team created a drink that the cast and crew had to consume every two hours. Sandstorms were daily inconveniences. Snakes, spiders, and scorpions were a major problem, with many crew members having to be airlifted out after being bitten. The building used for the Cairo Museum was an actual government building in Makarash. The shots of Giza port were shot in England and edited digitally to show the pyramids and Nile. The crew could not shoot in Egypt because of the unstable political conditions that existed there. Stephen Dunham auditioned for the role of Rick O'Connell, and he was rejected, but Stephen Summers liked his acting so much that he made up the character Mr. Henderson just for Stephen Dunham. Blixa Bargeld of the German industrial band that I can't pronounce is credited to have provided the spirit voices. So there's a German rock band connection. While the film made extensive use of computer-generated imagery, many scenes, including ones where Evelyn is covered with rats and locusts, were real using live animals. Ugh. One of the unforeseen problems with shooting in the desert was that the sand would cause all the guns to jam. The firing of the weapons would later be filled in with, at ILM. The children shown in the shots of the Bedouin trading outpost, as well as the shots of the Royal Air Force runaways, were local Makaresh children. The movie was given a $20 million budget that was set aside for the elaborate special effects. Some cast members actually thought the movie was cursed when the film broke at the premiere. <laughs> That's pretty funny. The effects team was told no gore when designing the look of the mummy. They actually did tests for grossness threshold. Although the American O'Connell could certainly serve in the French Foreign Legion, he could not be a lieutenant as depicted in the movie. Officers in the Legion were required to be French nationals. As an American, O'Connell would not be eligible for a commission. Stephen Summers described his vision of the film as a kind of Indiana Jones or Jason and the Argonauts, with the mummy as the creature giving the hero a hard time. From the beginning, Stephen Summers didn't want a guy shuffling around in bandages. Motion capture was chosen so that Imhotep could move as a human, not a magical being. A different take on Ardith's Bay introduction scene was on top of the mountain was later used in the film when O'Connell and crew were crossing the desert at night. This time, the lighting was adjusted accordingly. Stephen Summers toyed with the idea of opening the film with the old Universal Film logo, which would dissolve into the desert sun. He later used that opening for Van Helsing, though the logo would turn into the flame from a torch instead. According to Stephen Summers, the average special effect cost was $125,000 per shot, which is pretty amazing. The zombified townspeople in the movie are a sly nod to the angry villagers in classic horror films. 
and as the effects teams designed the mummy, they liked his transparency, so they removed his organs. Clive Barker, Joe Dante, and George A. Romero were each attached to direct at different points. Even Wes Craven was offered the job. With Clive Barker's vision of the film to be so violent, with the story revolving around the cultist, James Jacks recalls that Barker's take was dark, sexual, and filled with mysticism, and that it would have been a great low-budget movie. After several meetings, Barker and Universal lost interest and parted ways, which is was a good idea. Stephen Summers had said, that The Mummy in 1932 was one movie that scared him as a kid. He was only eight when he saw it and wanted to recreate the things he liked about it on a bigger scale. The revolvers of O'Connell carries throughout the movie are models 1873 11mm Camelot Delvine pistols. He also uses a Winchester 1897 shotgun. The filmmakers reportedly spent... $15 $15 million of the $80 million budget on special effects provided by Industrial Light and Magic. According to Stephen Summers, the hardest thing about the movie was the blend of humor and horror. He said, I didn't set out to make a straight horror movie, which was great. Joe Dante's version would have cast Daniel Day-Lewis as the mummy. This version was set in contemporary times and focused on reincarnation with elements of a love story. It came close to being made with some elements like the flesh-eating scarabs making it the final product. However, at that point, the studio wanted a film with a budget of $15 million and rejected Dante's vision. It took three months for the animation supervisor to complete the musculature for Imhotep's body. Ford Bryden is an homage to The Jungle Book back in 1994, another film that was directed by Stephen Summers. In it, there's a Colonel Bryden as well. Production designer Alan Cameron found a dormant volcano near Erfod where the entire set of Hamanoptera could be constructed. Stephen Summers liked the location because a city hidden in the crater of an extinct volcano, made perfect sense. Out in the middle of the desert, you would never see it. You would never think of entering the crater unless you knew what was inside that volcano. A survey of the volcano was conducted so that an accurate model and scale models of the columns and statues could be replicated back at Shepperton Studios, where all of the scenes involving the underground passageways of the City of the Dead were shot. These sets took 16 weeks to build and included fiberglass columns rigged with special effects for the movie's final scenes. Another large set was constructed in the United Kingdom on the dockyard of Chatham, which doubled for the Giza port on the River Nile. This set was 600 feet in length and featured a steam train, an Ajax traction engine, three cranes, an open two-horse carriage, four-horse drawn carrots, five dress horses and grooms. So, a ton of different animals that were involved. The location is shown in the scene where Imhotep and his minions corner the protagonist was an actual entrance to a 13th century graveyard in Makarash. 
In the shots of the graveyard entrance, a manhole cover was used for the surviving protagonist to escape. The manhole was constructed for the film and had a large pad inside so that the actors would land on the pad and not hurt themselves. The lever triggered slowly, settling stone megaliths with sand pouring out like water from which the characters must escape or be entombed alive are based upon Howard Hawke's Land of the Pharaohs, where Pharaoh Chup's tomb is constructed and to be sealed in this manner after he's placed within. Historically, no such sophisticated engineering technology was ever employed. There's a deleted scene from the film showing Rick, Evelyn, and Jonathan crossing a field full of skeletons belonging to Rick's fellow soldiers from the Foreign Legion and other fortune seekers before entering Hamanoptera. Another sequence that was cut occurred while Rick and Jonathan are trying to pry the chest containing the Book of Amun-Ra from the statue of Horus. Suddenly, several mummies break through the floor and attack, but they quickly turn their attention to the chest. They open it and are immediately doused with pressurized acid. This scene explains why a hole in the floor suddenly appears between shots in the movie. So today, I've got a few cues to share for this movie score by Jerry Goldsmith. The score is absolutely fantastic. The suite uh, is amazing um, from the expanded score. Uh, we get the different cues for this first section with the suite, Imhotep, the sarcophagus, and discoveries. Now, Goldsmith's score is a sheer delight from start to finish. Although essentially one long action cue, the sheer ambulance of it all lifts the mummy above 99% of its contemporaries, making it stand alone as one of the best adventure scores for many of that year. Uh, Goldsmith's music adopts a definite Middle Eastern flavor throughout and is accentuated by the inclusion of several lilting themes for exotic strings, instruments, and woodwinds. It somehow just sounds Egyptian. The horror aspects of the film are eloquently accented through the inspired use of deep, rumbling percussion and the occasional inclusion of a low choir. Cues such as the powerful Imhotep, the menacing sarcophagus, and the almost unbearably creepy discoveries benefit markedly from Goldsmith's ingenuity here. So now I'll play The Sweet, Imhotep, The Sarcophagus, and Discoveries.
Next, I'll be playing the Camel Race, which the propulsive Camel Race presents a notably strong performance of the expansive main theme. The Plagues and Evelyn Meets the Mummy and Favorite Plague is a few of the more action-packed themes in the middle of the movie. I found that Goldsmith's score is so extensive and bombastic, giving us the excitement and enjoyment of the orchestral arrangements. So now let's play the cues Camel Race, The Plagues, and Evelyn Meets the Mummy, and Favorite Plague.
So we've come down to yet another end of an episode. The last cues that I'll be playing include Plane vs. Imhotep, Duel with the Skeletons and the Mummy, The Sand Volcano, and fun Finale and End Credits. I'd also like to thank Jillian Orwall for my theme today, and I feel that this score really brings to life the excitement of monster movies from the past, as well as the humor that needs to be included. The new movie, The Mummy, is more of an action horror movie than anything else. I'd like you to look forward to my future episodes coming up. Email me at soundtrackalley at yahoo.com to ask me any questions you might have or if you even want to be on my show. Check out my site at soundtrackalley.net and on Facebook and also follow the podcast arcade on Facebook as well. Follow me on Podbean and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, uh, the Amazon Alexa, and Podbean. On Google Play, Soundtrack Alley has no spaces. Enjoy these last cues and happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com. Thank you.